My name is Noah Guyberson, and I'm here alongside my co-host Emily Costa hey, and Rob Frawley hey. with a very exciting special new episode of Fax Machine, a podcast by and for people who are curious about everything, but especially the things that make them laugh. In a normal episode, each of us shares one fascinating fact along with the incredible story behind it. And finally, we wrap things up with a pub-style trivia quiz loosely inspired by the theme. But as I mentioned, this is no regular episode. We have agreed that since I, a brain scientist, get a whole live show about my organ of interest, Emily and Rob should get a special episode to quiz all about their favorite organs, whereas I have to write a quiz about gross non-brain stuff that I don't like. <laughs> Seems fair. Uh, and this is my quiz about uh, no particular organ, rather generally about anatomy and particularly gross anatomy. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean mm. gross anatomy in the anatomical sense of gross anatomy which is sort of i mean i don't know exactly how you say that uh, just like broad systems of body parts right mm. just like in the broad <laughs> of body parts <laughs> way but there is a term gross anatomy i mean sort of just like stuff that made me go ew <laughs> um so starting with that uh my quiz is simple of the following which are anatomical structures which are real diseases and which did I make up? Ooh. So I'm going to give okay. you a term, and you're going to tell me whether that is a real anatomical structure, a real disease, usually pertaining to some sort of malformation of an anatomical structure, mm-hmm. okay. and which did I just make up to trick you. Okay? Cool. So, are you ready? Oh, boy. So ready. <laughs> Number one, Rolando's gelatinous substance. You made that up. Rolando's gelatinous substance. Just uh, substance. <laughs> it's probably, it's probably a thing that like. There's some strategy in this. You don't know. Am I coming at you right from the beginning with made up? Is it a disease? Is it a... I want to. I want to say if I had to bullshit and if, if this was balderdash, <laughs> okay, and I had to convince you it was a real thing, I would tell you that it was something that your body made during like development before you were born, and it was like. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just very thrown by the notion of using the word substance because i feel like there are other sort of like typical words for that ilk of thing that are more medical that some would more readily go to than substance mm. that's why I mean? that's why it's a bad like fluid but or... it's a bad fake i think because it, uh, imagine it's some is it we're discussing it at length mm. <laughs> but no like mm. But if that's a disqualifier from being a medical term, like if you're going to try to make up a medical term. I see. Then you would fall into the exact patterns that I'm questioning. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess my question is, is it a real thing that's useful? Or I'm a little confused about like, is it a disease? Like if you have Rolando's gelatinous substance, are you, <laughs> are you? so screwed? <laughs> is it over for you? <laughs> I feel like it falls into that camp. I feel like it's a, it's in the, the malady. So y'all yeah. are feeling like it is a real thing. I think I do. Okay. Emily. But you're yeah. while well, you right now, Rob, are between anatomical structure I... or real disease. Yeah, I'm gonna pin myself. So right now, real you're disease. Okay. collectively you're between all three of the options. <laughs> so yeah. where so where I'm at, if I were to venture into it being real, I would lean towards disease because I could see it being 
given that name originally by someone who was not well versed in medicine. Rolando. And then afterwards, <laughs> Rolando. <laughs> sure. This guy. And then afterwards, Probably. we've you know come to understand what it was, but its original moniker stuck. Like now, but it's it was just not gout. assigned. But it used to be. But called. it was not assigned. Rolando's by exactly. gout. <laughs> Poor um, guy. All right, I'm definitely going with disease. Yeah. That's... All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. The answer is normal anatomy. Damn. Okay. So, Rolando's gelatinous substance, also known as Rolando's substantia gelatinosa, okay. <laughs> is also known. Is um, Harry Potter spell? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, is basically, it's a part of the spinal cord. Um, uh, did, and... I not, did I say that out loud? No. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, in development, be a thing that wraps around the notochord and then goes away. That was what I was going to say. Well, am I okay. not? Am I close? No. Okay. Well, I mean, because it's, it's there. Okay. <laughs> Noto- you get extra points for knowing the notochord, though. Okay. Um, anyway. Right. Oh. Um, the So basically, this is a part of, I, I think it's in the ventral spinal cord. So basically, if you, if you can imagine a spinal cord cross-section, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure most people can. Ooh, but, but can I help? Yeah. It's, it's like if you're looking at one of those imperial landers. Um, that's I'm like, not sure that's helping. Okay. No. Actually, with our crowd, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know those ones where there's the, the one thing, the fin on top, and the two coming down? Yeah. And it's like you look at that, and then there's like a hole in the middle, and that's where the spinal cord is. Like right through the, the bridge. Okay. Yeah. Well, so basically, on the top part is what I'm saying. Um, there is just like on the top edges, there's this area called Rolando's gelatinous substance. Um, and... It is named that because anatomists who looked at it were like, well, that's a little gelatinous, some sort of gelatinous <laughs> substance there. In the it's particular... a substance, and it's gelatinous. Exactly. Hey, Rolando, what do you think? Yeah, well, anyway, Rolando, Rolando. <laughs> Rolando was asking others what, it, what they thought, and they were like, yeah, it checks out, Rolando. That's clearly gelatinous, and it's also a substance. Um, but it's a little bit interesting um, because it is a place where there are a lot of mu, what are known as mu and kappa opioid receptors. Ooh. And so that's really involved in sort of the relay of pain signals from the spinal cord all the way up to the brain, right? Um, so if, you know, obviously we have an opioid epidemic, right? So if you can find uh, opioid-like compounds that only act on these receptors that, like, influence the communication of pain to the central nervous system, which is where you basically perceive pain, right? If we can block that only but not sort of reach this the the you know sort of higher central nervous system where you might have addictive like effects yeah that would be a great target for research into developing new sort of analgesic uh, painkillers right mm. but anyway it uses rolando's gelatinous substance in order to do that i hate to tell you this no but i think you've diverged and started talking about the brain again <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of yeah, nervous stuff check. Yeah, I figured that, trying to get two brain shows. Uh, no, that's honestly. fair. That's fair. I mean, I think more brain shows the better. I there's not that much more brain stuff. I just wanted to say Rolando's gelatinous substance because um, I thought you would enjoy that. All right. So question two. So you're going to tell me is this an anatomical structure, a real disease, or is it made up? Strawberry gallbladder. See, only because we've we've already had a comment about was it raspberry sputum. <laughs> That I that I take it is a real malady. I think strawberry gallbladder Ooh. is a fake. Yeah. Also, you wouldn't really know if your gallbladder sh- was shaped like or looked like a strawberry <laughs> without some really invasive. Post-mortem. Well, anatomists. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't know what uh, anything looks like. Got him. <laughs> you don't know what anything looks like without anatomists working I, on a dead yeah, body. I yeah. guess. Not that I'm trying to convince you away from disease or anything. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I agree with you there. Yeah, I'm going. Fake. Let's call it. 
All right, it is a disease. Ah! No. Oh, oh, you went fake. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I misheard. I thought you were going for disease. Nope. Yeah. No. Okay, great. You're wrong. I love that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, basically, it is a real disease. Um, it is caused by excessive cholesterol deposits in the gallbladder wall. Um, and so, you know, as some of us may know, the gallbladder stores and releases bile, which is actually made in the liver. And essentially, that helps us, like, digest fats that are in our diet. And so it... it the gallbladder takes on what is known as a stippled appearance, and that's basically due to the cholesterol deposits, um, which more, you know, basically more or less, according to anatomists or pathologists, look a little bit like, you know, the seeds on the outside of a strawberry. So mm. that's strawberry gallbladder, a real disease. All right, number three, Reinhardt's perspicular addendum. See, okay, now I'm annoyed because this one I would believe, but I'm like. Maybe okay. this is the one that he really made sound real. So perspicular. You know? I didn't, by the way, I didn't promise that there any ratio of these, yeah. by the way. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm I know. just telling you. I'm just, you know, I'm okay. evaluating each on their own. So um, what does perspicacious mean? Because I feel like that's the root we're dealing with. Yes, that's a good approach. Um, thinking of non-anatomical words, like crepuscular is like crescent-shaped, right? So like scular mm. to me is kind of like... Almost like scalar or shaped. Okay, so like what it, re- it looks like a perspicule. <laughs> sure, so like a, a droplet of sweat then? Maybe. Maybe. Ooh. Um, okay. But that's perspirate. Persper. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, okay, and a perspicular addendum would be a thing that it's not like a sweat gland. Also, Reinhardt. I can only think of Judge Reinhardt, who is the guy, he was the father in the Santa Claus, like the stepdad. <laughs> I, I don't think it's making it too easy for me to tell you that's not the one I'm talking about. <laughs> but were there any others? Like, Dead or was he away. the only one is my question. <laughs> um, huh. I mean, it's okay. an addendum. So an addendum is like a weirdly non-medical word too, I feel like. It could be, but I could see it also like being within the realm of like, like, Maybe like a piece of anatomy that was thought to be well characterized, and then it was like, oh, there's actually this this little bit on the end we are reclassifying as its own distinct thing, and so it is an addendum to the previously kind mm. of like intact structure that we once classified as a whole. Okay. So I could see maybe that kind of, and then they would be like, well, let's make it sound. Addendum would be Latin, right? Let's yeah, make just it a, like a thing. <laughs> okay, so yeah. we're going with sounds like real body structure. I think I think this might be real. Okay, so you think this is a normal anatomical structure? Yes. Okay. Oh, but oh, oh. it's an addendum. Oh, fuck it. Yeah, let's just say it's real. <laughs> okay. okay. It's completely made up. God ah, damn it. Um, <laughs> I made this up this afternoon. Um, these are just random words that I threw together with a German last name that I picked from Wikipedia's excellent and exhaustive article, List of German Surnames. <laughs> Actually, one of for those... For your German surname needs. <laughs> yeah, for all your German surname needs, exactly. Um, uh, perspicular actually started out as the actual word perspicuous. So Ooh. Reinhardt's perspicular addendum, I guess, means Reinhardt's clearly expressed additional material, which I felt was actually really appropriate for this podcast. Yeah. I like that. So that's very nice. Okay. Um, and, and perspicacious, does that mean someone who, like, expresses themselves, like, clearly? They're very, like, sus- they're not... Okay. That's the only word I could think of that reminded I, me of It's been it. so long since I took the GRE. <laughs> <laughs> or like maybe like excessively, like they're just like shedding, just sweating out knowledge from their pores. Yes, exactly. Um, pers- perspiration addictive. 
Stripping okay. can wring it out of their clothes. Gross. Okay. This is the gross round. <laughs> You're right. It is the gross round. Um, all right. Question four. All Cox Canal. <laughs> what do you think that All Cox Canal is a word for? A L C O X. A L C O K apostrophe S. Okay, guy's name. It's, okay. Yeah, it's a name. All anatomy terms are some guy from like the 16th or 1800s name. Sure. And then a gross word. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad they didn't teach this in high school because that you don't get out of that class. <laughs> like, that's just... I mean, this one's tough because I don't see a reason to immediately question it. Yeah, I think it's real. Yeah. I think that is a thing somewhere in a body. Yeah. Yep. Okay, you are absolutely right. Um, it is an anatomical structure, and that's fine. But the mo- the reason there's nothing particularly interesting about that. I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about it. But the main thing about it is the story of Benjamin Alcock. Oh yeah. Um, right. and that is something I discovered looking up, uh, sort of like anatomical names named after people, and just going through them and trying to find interesting people. <laughs> um. So I, I, he comes from a long line of Irish doctors. Um, he was uh, sort of lived in the early 19th through mid, you know, at least mid 19th century. Um, his father was a doctor as well, Nathaniel Alcock. And to give you an idea of this particular era in medicine, his father wrote a paper called Dr. Alcock's Case of Monstrosity. <laughs> Um, but in <laughs> that from Harry Potter, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, in 1837, actually, Alcock became the first professor of anatomy, physiology, and pathology at Queen's College Cork, which is now University College Cork in Ireland. Um, he described the anatomical structure in the pelvis that carries the pudendal nerve, which, and again, I say this was really important, as you might appreciate, which carries, among other things, sensation from both male and female external genitalia. I would say that's one of the most important biological imperatives is attaining, you know, sensation at the external genitalia. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's very interesting. As well as the motor supply to various pelvic muscles. Also very important for various things. Mm. Um, But the main thing that I found really interesting about his life was that anatomy back in the day required a a steady supply of, you know, dead bodies to dissect, Mm -hmm. right? And so that was always... A problem. They weren't easy to come by necessarily in the sort of steady stream that they needed. So around 1854, the higher ups at the Queens College Cork Medical School pressured him to go to poorhouses and pretend to be the friend of someone who had just died, so that he could take the body. But he was just appalled at this, called illegal and immoral, and a bunch of different letters. He mm. sent an appeal to the government, um, where he said all of these things and like exposed it. They turned him away, and eventually, and basically, the Queens College Cork, you know, now UCC, fired him. Um, and so he was then just like somebody who didn't have a job. He was, you know, disaffected, luckless, unmarried, go getter. <laughs> so he did what anyone with that. Uh, description would do in the late 1850s and he went to the united states where and this is from two different biographies of him quote he has not been since heard of oh wow and i when i was reading this right before i saw that i was like oh wow in the 1850s in like you know 10 years or so he's gonna be some doctor in the civil war 
I mean, how fascinating would that be to hear this guy's story? He was like a professor at one of the best universities in Ireland of medicine and, you know, physiology. And he's going to go and be like a battlefield surgeon. And then it was just like, well, we never figured out what happened to him. He was never heard of again. That was from different uh, reports, basically, that went and looked for him from 1917 and 1945. So really not in history, not that far away from when he lived. Um, I'm gonna be real. I was really hoping the end of that would be that he became a grave robber. And just kind of took like a if you can't beat him, join him approach. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. Um, I was kind of hoping that he would go to all the graves and like mess up all the anatomy, <laughs> just to spite the person who took his job. Um, but uh, so this is uh, drilled pr- other particularly holes. <laughs> drill drilling holes. Yeah. Good wow. luck figuring this out. <laughs> Here's an Alcock canal, and there's an Alcock canal. <laughs> wow, these are really important. <laughs> it really helps that it's stitched in Alcock next right next. Yeah. To it. Um, and so uh, what I know about that is from you know, especially a 1948 biography of Alcock for the centenary of Queens College Cork in which they basically tried to track down American relatives of his, but were unsuccessful. So his father's name was uh, Nathaniel Alcock. They did find a Nathaniel Alcock in the U.S. who was a doctor in this 1947 uh, in, uh, biography, but it turns out they were pretty sure it's actually not a relation at all, is that Nathaniel Alcock was named after an unrelated family friend. Oh. So mm. it wasn't like named after the you know great-grandfather of whatever. Yeah. Mm. Um, so they were unsuccessful, but anyway. It's an interesting story, and if anybody knows anything about Benjamin Alcock, Irish doctor in the 1800s, please let us know. Question five. All right, so you're going to tell me, just to remind you, anatomy, disease, or made up. Mm-hmm. Port wine stain. Real. Oh, okay. too eager. <laughs> My dad has one. It's real. Okay. It's an anatomy. It's not a disease. It's okay. It's anatomy. I yes. defer. <laughs> well, it isn't normal anatomy. I'm going to give you okay, this. Fine. I'm going to give you not, this. It's not, but it's very common. I, I, it's not like pathological. It is not, not. I wouldn't say it's very common. It's It is common. It's what basically it is, is a type of birthmark. Yeah. It, I was going to include it in normal anatomy. I did waffle on this, so I'm going to give you the full points. I, I waffled on this, but then I was reading about how there actually could be, there, there are plausible sort of like pathological down, you know, like in old age, especially, they can become a problem. Um, oh, this is good to know. For example, depending on the particular, <laughs> it really depends on what place they're in. So basically, I, I, just to explain, a port wine stain is a, you know, as I mentioned, a relatively common birthmark that's caused by uh, a collection of like swollen blood vessels that are near the surface of the skin. And it's usually no big deal at all, but it can be, I mean, generally, the main problem is that depending on how big they are, where they are, they can be really like emotionally distressing mm. to the people that have them. So if you have like a giant one right on your face, you're probably going to be more affected than someone with like, you know, one on the inside of their thigh which is rarely exposed right so uh this is also if you remember like a picture of gorbachev the soviet premier mm, yeah um he had like a big one on his head and i just want to say that I, so a co-worker sent me the article uh about this and in it when it talked about the emotional distress aspect of these these you know what's called port weinstein um it said hey it didn't stop gorbachev from espousing perestroika and glasnost <laughs> So it can't be that do bad. anything. Yeah. Like, I guess. There's your silver lining. <laughs> um, but basically, it can like sort of like for example, if it's in sort of like near the eye, apparently there's an increased risk of glaucoma Ooh. and some other things where it can have an effect. So I'm gonna consider it sort of a hybrid between normal, just whatever can happen in humans and disease. So whatever you got it. Okay. Um, okay. Wow. So uh, 
the reason it's called port wine stain is that it's got this reddish purple color like the color of port wine mm-hmm. you know staining something uh and i also wanted to point out that there's also another type of birthmark that is really called cafe Olay spot yeah oh, and it's wow. just sort of like the brown i think i actually have one on the back of one of my hands but i can't remember yeah my left hand i'm yeah. a freak yeah yeah i see <laughs> anyway okay so moving on to question six again anatomy disease are made up cockburn's distal paresthesia okay interesting paresthesia would imply a sensation Mm -hmm. yes and a distal one so somewhere on a limb probably some sort of cock some extremity oh you burn your cock and you can't feel anything anymore (laughs) that's it it's 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 real done it's real so i mean the medical terms sound like a real thing but it could just arbitrarily be Cockburn was a funny did, name. Did you go down a list of real <laughs> names looking for cock wherever it would appear? I might have done that. <laughs> Whether or not it was successful is up to you. That's true. There's there's only all cock, and he's like, I needed at least one more cock <laughs> name in this quiz. Distal paresthesia sounds legit. Sounds legit, right? Pretty legit. Cockburn questionable. But he could have figured it out. That's like a white dude name. Exactly. Yeah. That's really all you need. Okay. We think, and we think it's bad, right? Paresthesia is not good. You generally don't, you don't want that. Yeah, I'd imagine. So a disease then. Yeah, malady. All right, so you're going with disease. Yeah. Made up. Damn it. Damn it. Well So let me tell you about the fact, so you mentioned that Cockburn sounds like a real name. It absolutely is. Mm -hmm. Because I based it off a real person, and then I was looking at like, what was a way that I could say Cockburn, Cockburn? (laughs) And I was trying to say it as obliquely as possible. So it's Cockburn. So it's Cockburn. it's the distal, as in sort of like far away from your central body. Yeah. Paresthesia, which is actually the um, I I looked up for like a clinical name for burning sensation. Oh. Paresthesia oh. is actually when your foot falls asleep and it kind of hurts, like yeah. the tingling or burning. Oh, I see. So I a, okay. a little bit sort of just borrowed that burning. So it's a, basically a distal burning sensation. Cockburn's Cockburn. That's wow. what that's what I was going for. I'm glad that it fooled you. But but again, this is a made-up term using the name of a real late 17th, early 18th century Scottish physician named William Cockburn. Hmm. Okay? All right. Unfortunately, not Richard Cockburn. <laughs> but I want to... Uh, it's a made-up thing about a real physician named William Cockburn. Willie Cockburn. Yeah, yeah Willie Cockburn. <laughs> I mean, it was already good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. But the thing is... I'm combining this sort of fiction and real life about someone who, to me, whose every biographical detail seems completely made up. And I'm going to read to you a short biography of this person, and you're going to just tell me whether or not you think this could have just been completely made up in like a novel. Okay? Yeah. Here we go. Um, (laughs) Dr. Cockburn was appointed physician of the Royal Navy's Blue Squadron, where he introduced his, quote, secret cure for dysentery. After being told by Lord Berkeley of Stratton that, quote, there was nothing farther wanting but a better demand of curing fluxes. <laughs> he performed a clinical trial with 70 patients aboard the HMS Sandwich. <laughs> okay. The successful <laughs> result of which was reported to the Admiralty Board by Sir Cloudsley Shovel. <laughs> <laughs> after this loudly (laughs) after this he became the medical advisor to writer jonathan swift of like gulliver's travels yeah Yeah. despite the fact that jonathan was a close friend with a doctor named john friend (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, that's true, but it doesn't sound real that John's friends, who's doctor, a doctor, would be John friends. Um, friends, John friend. <laughs> so then Dr. Cockburn then wrote his seminal treatise, Observations on the Diet of Semen. <laughs> <laughs> And, and he, a man named Cockburn, wrote extensively on venereal diseases, including four editions on the treatment of gonorrhea, and one called and one called Account of the Nature and Cure of Looseness. Oh no. Oh my god. And finally, just again, if this doesn't just belong in some like, you know, eighteen hundreds novel, which is a little bit after he would live, but frankly, uh, maybe he was the inspiration. Finally, he got married at the age of 64 to Lady Mary Fielding, eldest daughter of one of his patients, Basil Fielding, 4th Earl of Dinbig. (laughs) Apparently, one day he found her in tears because she expected to have to leave London due to her financial status. Um, And he said to her, Madam, if 50,000 pounds and the heart of an old man will console you, they are at your service. Aww. I'm just saying. Sounds like a pretty... I'm just saying, those are all very interesting things, but none of them are plausible. (laughs) (laughs) And they're very real. That's that's pretty incredible. I just thought that was quite interesting. Cloudsley's shovel is really... (laughs) Sir 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 Cloudsley's shovel. shovel. (laughs) It sounds like there's like a kid's show where all the like tools of a farm are living in a castle together. I love that he and sailors were just aboard the HMS sandwich. (laughs) Unable to keep their food yeah. <laughs> properly yeah. in, in place. Inside, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was a shit sandwich. All right. <laughs> Where Cloudsley found himself doing quite a bit of a shoveling. Man. Oh, God. <laughs> there we go. Really, really got a bow on top of that one. <laughs> okay. All right. Question seven. Watermelon's stomach. Oh. I think that's a yes. Yeah. Like a distended... I, I assume it's a malady, like a disease, where you get, like, just the pressing out. Yeah. Let me tell you what I thought about when I first heard of slash thought about this. <laughs> You're, like, saving it till the end there. <laughs> and it was, like, when I first made this up slash read about it, um, I thought about when you have, like, seeds go down in your stomach from eating a watermelon. And it was, like, <laughs> what people would cr- think... <laughs> would happen you would get the watermelon something they would throw inside of you comes out of your mouth <laughs> yeah and you, well. yeah exactly that's i just want you to know the image that i had in my head sure okay i imagine more like daffy duck eats a watermelon and his stomach is just the shape of a watermelon like, <laughs> and he's like constrictor oh. kind of like whoop, yep. just whatever the shape is and then like he bumps into a wall and it turns sideways and he becomes a different <laughs> shape of the watermelon Okay, so you have a final answer? Real disease. Yeah, I'll say real. Real disease. Good yeah. job. Okay. So watermelon stomach is also known as gastric antral vascular ecstasia, or GAVE. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they gave you an acronym, but why bother, really? Yeah. Um, and it's a rare cause of gastrointestinal bleeding, as well as mm. iron deficiency anemia. Um, and mm. so doctors call it watermelon stomach because of the characteristic, like, red streaks of the stomach lining on, on like, histology um, that look like the markings of a watermelon. Now, frankly, when I heard this, I was thinking watermelons don't have red streaks. But what I was thinking about was the inside of a watermelon and not the outside, which is what it means. The green and white streaks. It's like the white yeah, streaks on yeah. the green of the watermelon is what looks like the red streaks in this particular... Are, yeah. 
histology. You wonder if there's yes. not a better metaphor there. Yeah, you know, and almost certainly <laughs> there is, but I was working from a list of food Oh yeah, Name diseases. I don't mean some other ones. I did. I haven't, mean I didn't, you. Yeah. I mean like the doctor who was like. <laughs> well, I didn't make this one up, so I don't feel insulted yeah, by that. <laughs> these red and white streaks remind me of a watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Why in shape or size or color? No. In like the red part, whether it be streaks of red. <laughs> can you think of anything else that has a like, alternating stripe pattern? I can't. Just watermelon. Tiger stomach. <laughs> That sounds like a fucking diet pill. <laughs> Tigers, get get, get a tiger stomach. <laughs> One diet pill, you'll get dysentery, and then you'll have a flat tiger stomach, like a tiger. <laughs> anyway, yeah, watermelon stomach is a disease. Um, so, moving on. Moving on to our... The snake oil version would be Dr. Shovel's tiger stomach. <laughs> I just, I like it. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> um, okay. Final question. Just to remind you for the last time, anatomy, disease, are made up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pouch of Douglas. Oh, I think that's. I I think that's made up and playing upon like similar forms. Like the Isle of Lingerhans. You know what I mean. If I'm saying that right, I might not be. I know yep. it's the pancreas. Yeah, yeah it's the things. Yeah. <laughs> like I know. I'm so, I'm just lost in the stream here. I <laughs> it could be absolutely anything. I don't know if all pouches are good pouches. <laughs> I really. <laughs> Douglas is the lesson you gotta learn. It's yeah. Neither here nor there. Not all pouches are good pouches, Rob. <laughs> uh, all right. Let me tell you. I, uh, Before you go back experience. out in the world, I need you to say to me, <laughs> lock eyes with me. Not all pouches are good pouches. There aren't a lot of them. Like, could, uh. Rob, <laughs> right. that's how they get you. They see it coming a mile away, okay, and they're not... like, that guy thinks all pouches are good pouches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to I say it's real. We have two made up so far in a list of eight. I trust Noah to do, do work and find six real things. That's my... I think it's a real... Real anatomical feature. Okay. I am down to let this last one uh, be a split. Kind okay. of up the ante a little bit. Sure, yeah. Go head to head. All right. So and, I'll say fake and okay. you'll say real. All right. Real but good. Because okay. pouches are good. So you, <laughs> okay, so you're saying anatomy. <laughs> not, so a real anatomy versus real disease. You're yeah, saying made up. Yes. Well, I just put the answer down. <laughs> it is real anatomy. Hey! Ah, okay. Yes. All right. It is also known as a recto-uterine pouch. Oh. This is another one where the anatomy doesn't matter, and I want to tell you a story about the person it's named after. Okay. okay? You're telling me that recto-uterine pouches don't matter? Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, but are they good pouches? <laughs> are there any pearlfish inside? <laughs> uh, let me say that it's, it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> It's not like a cloaca that yeah, would be a recto-uterine yeah. I mean, this is like a complete... It's basically like an extension of like peritoneal space, like sort of between those. So again, it's... I see. Okay. I mean, it, I mean it, interesting as much as anything, any random fact is interesting, which obviously we all think so. Right. But I would argue that there's a scale of interestingness, and I would say more interesting is this story that James Douglas, uh, this late, 16, uh, late 17th and early 18th physician had... In the story of Mary Toft, who claimed that she was giving birth to rabbits. Yes. Ah, yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Y'all know about this? I'm, I'm thrilled. 
Um, so James Douglas, the namesake of the pouch of Douglas, which is, I mean, either a blessing or a curse. Uh, I guess if you're an atomist, it's it's great. If you're anyone else, to, to have the you know pouch of Douglas named after you would be a bummer. Um, <laughs> and he was an obstetrician and an anatomist uh, who lived from 1675 to 1742. And he held the post of physician extraordinary to Queen Caroline of Great Britain at the time. And he was uh, very accomplished, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the most important thing about him is his involvement in the Mary Toft affair, at least according to me. So you all have heard of Mary Toft, apparently, yes. right? So Mary Toft got pregnant in 1726. Okay, that's a normal thing to do. But then, according to reports, she and some other women saw a rabbit and chased it for a while. And as was reported in Mist's weekly journal, quote, from Guildford comes a strange but well-attested piece of news. The woman hath made oath that, being working in a field with other women, they put up a rabbit who, running from them, created in her such a longing to it that she, being with child, was taken ill and miscarried. And from that time, she hath not been able to avoid thinking of rabbits. Normal, yeah. Also normal. Yeah, totally. Rabbits are dope. Hair-brained. Um, <laughs> that's good. Um, and obviously, that's, that's weird enough, chasing a rabbit around and then being obsessed with rabbits. But then a neighbor and subsequently a local doctor were called and attested that Mary had given birth to a rabbit, or at least parts of a rabbit, um, and so this doctor, who is the local doctor, John Howard, wrote to Henry Davenant, who was a member of the court of King George I, who then brought the samples that he had collected back to London, thoroughly convinced that Mary had actually given birth to not just one, but later several rabbits. John Howard, actually, the local doctor, wrote to Henry Davenant again, quote, since I wrote you... I've taken or delivered the poor woman of three more rabbits. The last leaped 23 hours in the uterus before it died. Oh. <laughs> God. As soon as the 11th rabbit was taken away, up leaped the 12th rabbit, which is now leaping. If she had been with child, she has but 10 days more to go. So I do not know how many more rabbits may be behind. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> there was a little bit of, you know obvious rabbit trickery going on or but, a miracle <laughs> as some would call it a miracle so now henry davin is brought in and all the fancy london people are involved so they go to guildford and examine her and these people are just like oh my god really y'all you expect me to believe that she's been giving birth to a baker's dozen rabbits that's heresy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, well, anyway, 100% believe you. <laughs> so she's oh. been examined as a, a consequence of that. She's examined by uh, other doctors. And finally, the king himself orders that Toft be brought to London to be examined by court physicians. So the story really takes off from here. And it becomes a huge sensation in the press. Everyone wants to know what the deal with her is. And, like, one of the eminent physicians who examined her and had previously written... Uh, a book entitled, quote, The Female Physician, which was, you will not be shocked, a book on male doctors treating women, not on actual <laughs> female physicians, as the book would almost obviously be about if titles made any sense. The title is just a cute little treat. <laughs> I'll just put that idea into their heads, but not for too long, or it'll stress them out and they won't have children. Right. Or maybe they'll have what he believed women could give birth to, uh, small mouse-like creatures known as suterkins. Um, he strongly <laughs> believed that you, the women could give birth to suterkins um, and was a strong advocate for something called known as maternal impression. 
um, which was the then widely held belief that what a pregnant mother sees or even dreams about can have physical manifestations on the pregnancy. Mm. So this rabbit-obsessed pregnant woman having a bunch of rabbits really fit his whole narrative, right? Mm. So yeah. he was a huge like booster of this this being real beyond any evidence. Um and and basically, a lot of other doctors sort of went along with this because a lot of doctors being involved in court society sort of cared that they were sort of going along with what the other people thought. So it created the situation where there was a split in the medical community among people who were just like, yeah, totally. Looks like there's rabbits coming out of her. <laughs> and people who were like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's not, how is anybody believing this? And one of those people was James Douglas, namesake, again, of the Pouch of Douglas. Also, I just want to stop and say, I'm aware that I've really gone down a rabbit hole, pun uh, obviously intended. I, I mean, it was a matter of time. Rabbit hole, yeah. <laughs> um, but I wanted to briefly stop and say that there is a literary and film character we all know who is or was originally a Suterkin. Can anybody guess it? A small mouse-like creature who was born to a human. In the original mm. story. Human? Small mouse-like creature. Um, I forget how Stuart Little started. I was, that's what I was Stuart Little's the answer. Yeah. yeah. Stuart oh Little is the answer. Is a Suterkin. So in the oh. 1945 book by E.B. White, Stuart Little is explicitly born to a human family. Not adopted or created in a lab or anything. He is a Suterkin. He wow. is a mouse-like creature born of a human womb. Um, and that's... Gross. They really, <laughs> they really brush past that. <laughs> they really do, especially yeah. in the more recent movies. Yeah. I mean, you can see why. <laughs> um, they don't show you like the team of doctors working late at the hospital to be like, we've got to run these tests again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, finally getting back to James Douglas, who was at the time a well-known man midwife, which sounds like... I mean, well, Emily, you're rolling your eyes, but I'm curious just why. You, why in the back of my head, out of the room, down the hall, just like I don't know, like there's the notion that like that role is so relegated to women's work that it's like you can't have like a mid husband <laughs> yeah. because God forbid. Ah, <laughs> ah well, so. so that's important because uh, th- you're absolutely right that like it being a role so so much associated with women filling it made them sort of be like, well, we need a man midwife. But the yeah. it, you couldn't you wouldn't have a mid husband because midwife means basically from the sort of early English with wife, so it's the person who's right. with the wife who's in labor. Fair. So you, yeah. what you would really have is a midwife who is a man and didn't make a weird extra thing about it. You would never have yeah. a mid, yeah. So that like yeah. that's yeah, yeah. that was something I read about that yeah. was really interesting. The mid husband is drinking beer with the yeah, actual exactly. husband. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Showing up with the stogies like hey, hey <laughs> muzzle. Probably not in this era in England, but <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but anyway, so he was a you know well known basically obstetrician and man midwife, mm. um, and a highly respected anatomist as well. And he is basically being hounded by all these different courtiers who are convinced by the rabbit lady, and he is just so uninterested in going to see something that is so obviously a hoax. And he said, it is as unlikely that a woman could give birth to a rabbit as a rabbit could give birth to a human. <laughs> which which is true. Equally yeah. unlikely. <laughs> it is <Yeah>. equally 0% <laughs> it's unlikely. It's a good exactly. way to say it. Um, and he did eventually <laughs> grudgingly go examine Mary uh, and immediately was like, she's obviously holding things between her legs and in a few cases actually putting animal parts inside her vagina and yeah. i wash my hands of this figuratively and literally 
And shortly thereafter, it was actually discovered that Mary's husband had been buying young rabbits in large quantities and bribing <laughs> bribing people to, quote, bring rabbits into her chamber, which is a euphemism I've ever heard one. <laughs> um, uh, and Mary actually eventually confessed to Douglas that a whole host of people from her town had essentially pressured her to do this in order to be supported by her status as a medical curiosity. So despite how weird this is, it is also really sad because this woman was, at least by her own reporting, sort of pushed into do this to sort of support the coterie of other people who thought they could gain by her. But um, Mary was charged, actually, this is, it gets worse and worse, was charged uh, after it was discovered that, you know, all this hubbub had been for this hoaxer. Mary was charged for, quote, being an abominable cheat and imposter. Um, and then also, uh, she, she actually went to prison for like three or four months, but then eventually she was let out because that's not a real thing to be charged for. Mm. And they were kind of eventually realized like, wait, that's not a law. <laughs> um, and the medical, then she went back to where she was from and uh, it's sort of the last thing I know about her. Um, but then the medical, the, the bigger thing that happened after she left was that the, the medical community at large, uh, was perceived to be so gullible and like just fraudulent by the broader you know community of people who had to go to those doctors mm. that they were the constant subject of scorn and mockery and it actually even more broadly than just the medical community it even damaged england's status as a quote enlightened nation um and voltaire of all people penned an essay referencing the whole affair as an example of english ignorance um but not james douglas he was cool <laughs> <laughs> he holds up nice yeah. nice all right, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to check out more content, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Facts Machine Pod and on Facebook at Facts Machine Podcast. And you can find us on social media. I'm at Arcs and Sciences. Emily? At underscore EM Costa. And Rob? At Sweater Vest SCI. So with that, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. Facts Machine is hosted and written by Noah Guyberson, Emily Costa, and Rob Frawley and was edited by Noah Guyberson. Theme music is by AC Antonelli, and our logo was designed by Mike Zola. Bye. Bye. Bye.